Howdy, Max Kaiser here with the Kaiser Report. Oh, we're gonna delve into the miasma that is healthcare. Well, we've been kind of stepping back this summer and looking at some of the big picture and the policies being presented by some of the Democrats and some of the issues like monopolization and via big tech and what how it's hitting the um, military industrial complex. We did that last episode, but right now I wanna look at the healthcare system because we mentioned how the United States has healthcare costs that are like two, three, four times more than many other nations in the world and the outcomes are worse. So we're gonna look at one story that happened in the past week, which is Bernie Sanders went to Detroit and then crossed the bridge over into Canada and he was with 13 Americans who have diabetes and type one diabetes, i.e. you're born with it. Bernie Sanders goes to Canada to make a point about drug prices. Just one and three quarters of a mile separates the U.S. and Canadian terminals on either end of the Ambassador Bridge. But in Canada, a vial of insulin costs around $30. In America, the price is 10 times that. So one of the people with him was a mother who has a son under 10 years old who has diabetes, type one diabetes. She spends $1,500 a month on his insulin and there she was able to get it for a fraction of the price. Right, well this is interesting, you know, in America there's this idea from one group of folks that believes that government should not touch anything, it should all be anarcho-capitalism and markets are godly and we should just trust the markets to solve all of our problems. Then you have another group of folks that are into, well government actually solves all of our problems and they are the kind of the neo-socialists. And then you have the U.S. Constitution which tries to create a path in between the two and you have government with checks and balances so you have the interests of the many reflected uh, and the government is there to uh, perform its best to distribute risk and reward in the most equal way possible and then um, you end up with health care which has unfortunately fallen into the hands of the monopolists who believe in markets are the end-all and be-all and unfortunately, they don't, to, to, they don't realize that markets without regulations are not free markets, that those are uh, kleptocratic monopolizations. So in the healthcare industry and the pricing of drugs, you have um, manipulation of prices. There's no, there's no competition. So markets without competition are worthless. So in the, in the drug business in the U.S., there's no competition. You just have monopoly pricing. And uh, that's the problem. So going to Canada, I don't know. I mean, you need to bring in competition. Who's going to who's going to restart competition in America? A very, very, very fundamental and crucial ingredient to a market is a buyer and a seller. They should each have knowledge about the thing they are purchasing or selling. When a person is diagnosed, first of all, when they suddenly have a huge pain in their chest, and are they having just a panic attack? Are they having a heart attack? Uh, do they call the ambulance? The ambulance is gonna cost 1,500 to $3,000 here in America to get you to the hospital. Or should they just take an Uber to get there so as to not uh, incur that cost? Does that individual know what they're about to purchase? Do they know if they're having a heart attack or a panic attack? They show up at the hospital, the emergency room. They only take you to the closest one. The doctor says, we think you're having a heart attack. We're gonna have to open, open you up. Well, 
excuse me, doctor, I'm going to go to the nearby hospital on the other side of town and see what they're going to charge me. Most people aren't doctors. They haven't gone to medical school. Very few people within the United States have gone to medical school. They don't know how to diagnose if they have brain cancer or they having an aneurysm. They don't know any of these things. So how can you possibly know how much it's worth? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just, you know, we had the past week where people were wall-to-wall -wall media coverage, the 50th anniversary of man landing on the moon. Yeah. Okay. That's brought to you by the U.S. government. It's a government project. All the components in an iPhone were built by the U.S. government. All the national parks are created by the U.S. government. World War II won by the U.S. government. So the government has its place to just simply you know, say it has no place and we let markets rule them, our day-to-day -day existence by allowing people, you know, on the operating table to have to decide whether they should sell their kidney to pay for a heart operation and create some kind of inter-organ arbitrage while they're under anesthesia is not, that's cruelty. That's eugenics. Well, that's the, closer to eugenics than it is to healthcare. It's certainly idiocy and there's no way to have a market. It is impossible because it's unless you give medical training from the age of kindergarten, first grade, like when kids are six, seven, eight years old, you should be teaching them medical procedures so that they become informed citizens in that regard. You know, people can tell socks or shoes or, you know, a vest, like you could tell whether or not you want that. That's a market and you could, sure, let the free market, don't get the government involved in, in clothing uh, because that, they're not best there. But here, again, so, Medicare for all is starting to spread this notion of Medicare for all, which is a, just a catch-all phrase because there are many ways to organize it. And now Kamala Harris, who, you know, she's known as a cop. You know, she was a prosecutor who used the power of the law out in California to uh, incarcerate many, like, poor mothers. But here she's come up with a plan for Democrats which is very similar to France. We've lived in France, and it's almost the exact same system as there. Kamala Harris unveils Medicare for All plan that won't kill private insurance. Senator Kamala Harris released a health care plan on Monday that will transition every American into her version of Medicare for All system within 10 years. A lot of the propaganda when people in the news here talk, or the politicians talk about Medicare for All or European health care system, they, never, they fail to mention that in France, in the United Kingdom, in all these nations with government in the healthcare system, there's plenty of private insurance. There's everybody in France has private insurance, but they also have a Medicare for all sort of insurance, the government run insurance plan, not government run or working for the government doctors. You know, the doctors are independent and they charge the insurance companies. So her plan is basically that same exact thing. Right. I mean, it makes sense if you want a healthy population to go out there and start companies or do productive things so that you get your tax base high enough to pay down your debt. You health care by or for or subsidized by the government is a good business choice. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now you're getting rid of the predatory monopolists in the healthcare industry who lobby a system other than what's in the best economic and um, health interests of Americans. That's too bad. That's quite sad. This plan by Kamala Harris, similar to the Francis plan, everyone has a little green card in France. You know, you go, any doctor, here's my green card, and they put it in the machine, and, you know, you're basically getting some health care. On top of that, you can buy private health care if you want more health care, okay? It works extraordinarily well, and people don't spend any time debating health care in France because it's already been debated, and it's in the past now. They're moving on to other stuff.
there is private insurance that is required because for the most part, unless you're indigent or poor or uh, unemployed or something like that, you pay something like 70% is covered by the insurance and then you're responsible for the other 30%. But then you have to get private insurance for that other segment. But things like diabetes, if you have type 1 diabetes, that's considered a long-term health situation and it's 0% coverage that you have to pay. So there are costs that you know the price of. Like the, the, the private sector segment, the private insurance coverage in France, you know, you're not allowed to get away with charging $1,000 or in this case $300 for a vial of insulin in the U.S., $30 in, in Canada. But, so it would be the same thing in, in France. They say, don't be a, you know, a jerk, just it's $30. Right. Well, we've been talking about this issue for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, we've been talking about five or six years ago when we first started talking about it. It was obvious that the reason why this doesn't exist in America has a lot to do with race, mm. right? That the uh, That's long what uh, Gore Vidal had suggested decades ago, before even these ast uh, you know astronomical prices. He said, you know, that we basically we don't want to cover it. All, everybody, we just want to cover the white people here. Is right. what his assessment it's was. It's part of a Jim Crow legacy that you don't have good health care for all in America. It's a legacy of the Jim Crow era, which is a legacy of the slave era, which is part of the prison industrial complex sure, post-World War II, yeah, mm -hmm. 1950s. So until America gets over its racial problems, it probably won't ever have good health care. But that's a good point that you made about you want a healthy workforce because, you know, as a totality of an economy, you want markets that are efficient and work, the stock markets, and they're allocating capital well, the investors are, and the banks should be allocating capital and helping to grow the economy, and you should have an entrepreneurial sector, you should have Silicon Valley, where a lot of government funds go into there, huge amounts of government DARPA funds go into Silicon Valley, and that causes a huge, like, industry to, you know, you can't deny that Silicon Valley is a massive success story. There's, there are things that, uh, that the government, because it is the biggest buyer in the market, can get a great deal on. One of them is health care. Another one is transportation. Yes. Okay. Eisenhower's uh, interstate highway system was the beginning of a huge boom mm. in American commerce because the government built the highways, interstate highways, under Eisenhower, and that's a good use of the government is the best buyer in the marketplace for transportation, healthcare, and education. The fact that people are in debt when they come out of college is stupid. I mean, they should obviously, that is that's probably, the, probably the single greatest threat to America today are the college students graduating with debt. Well, it just makes economic sense. Like whether it's a state or a municipality that is spending a fortune on imprisoning people that should instead, you know, for small crimes, minor crimes, nonviolent crimes, and they incarcerate people here for like 20 years for something nonviolent, when instead they should be creating taxes and, and helping the economy. And so they're a drain because of the taxes going to spend like $80,000 a year here in America to incarcerate somebody. And it's something that you know, th these stupid ideas, these stupid thoughts are applied everywhere you look around. It's just like the most expensive way for the worst outcomes. Right. It's not like uh, the debt is getting smaller. The debt <laughs> is skyrocketing because it's not being paid down. And what are the other countries doing? They're buying massive quantities of gold because they know that eventually the dollar will crash. Anyway, her Medicare for All plan will, um, it just shows you that the mood has changed, that this, it, it, it will happen. Like, because people are tired of being dumb and running a dumb economy, because it makes no sense at all. Just look at the fact that 
Can Canadians get to buy it for $30. We have to pay $300. Why? Why is that? Even though the Republicans sound a lot like the uh, Hillary Clinton, because their quote is, they immediately opposed Kamala Harris's plan. In a statement, Republican National Committee spokesman Steve Guest said the unicorns and magic wands would be required for this to work. Actually, it's unicorns and magic wands make the U.S. system work because it makes right. no How sense. How else do you take thirty dollars <laughs> worth of insulin and make it worth three hundred dollars? That's a magic wand act. That's a magic act. Look, I turned thirty dollars <laughs> of insulin into, and now it's three hundred dollars. It's exactly the same. And of course, the Democrats uh, can't get out of their own way, can they? That's why they're going to lose again in twenty twenty. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, much more coming your way. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to go to part two of our interview with Marshall Arbach. He's over at the uh, Levy Institute doing all kinds of research and uh, big brain stuff. Marshall, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. But you're up there in Canada for the most part. You're Canadian, so uh, you're... I, I split my time. It, yeah. it's, uh, so I'm, I guess I'm, I'm dating the U.S. these days, not actually fully okay. committed. Fair enough. <laughs> I haven't committed fully. But, so, but your view, you know, it, it's interesting because you've got uh, somewhat of a detached view. So I yeah. think that in that, in that regard... It's interesting to, to, to kind of get your take on these, uh, these, these candidates running for president. And so let's continue talking about the variety of economic policies being presented by the many of the different Democratic candidates. Yeah. So, um, you know, back in the mix is Medicare for all. Yeah. It's a Bernie policy that catching on. Hillary had compared it to shiny ponies. Uh, but it seems to be a hit out there in the voter. Uh, you know, what do you think? Well, as you mentioned, I spent a lot of time up in Canada. They do have a single-payer system up there, which is publicly funded but privately administered. So it's not this massive socialized takeover of your health care system. You know, I think there's another way of looking at this, though. Two things I would say is, one, health care shouldn't be a condition of employment. Everybody should have a right to, to at least basic uh, health care. So that's one problem you have with the current U.S. system. And uh, secondly, why should health care be a marginal cost of doing business here in the United States when it gives puts U.S. companies under huge uh, competitive disadvantages relative to their European counterparts, where uh, healthcare costs are assumed as a public good by by the uh, the government. So, so that's another point I, I, I would make. And as far as the um, so it's like the, an increased tax for them. Well, right. And, I mean, if you took the healthcare off their books. 
yeah. uh, they would be spending more time on building their corporations. Well, you'd probably have to co uh, uh, confront a lot of the other issues like share buybacks and things like that. But right. yeah, but, 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 but uh, putting that aside but, uh, for a second, a it's like why the burden on the corporations? Yeah, that's and right. It's they, a you marginal. Have, you don't cost. have a job at these corporations, and you don't have health care. That's right. And then um, th that the system seems to be counterintuitive. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a marginal cost of doing business here in the United States. Um, you know, so GM has a huge competitive disadvantage relative to say Volkswagen in Germany. Right. So when the president says we need to lower taxes for these corporations so they can be competitive, well, one way to do it is to take the health care off their books. Yeah. And that would make it more competitive. That's right. right? That's right. And the only reason why uh, you have uh, such a huge role for the private health insurance companies uh, uh, and, and, and employee-provided health care, uh, it's a historical quirk brought about by World War II when companies had, you know, there were wage and price controls in effect, and so companies were trying to find a way to retain their employers, uh, and this is what happens in a full employment economy. You actually retain your, try to retain your employees. So one of the ways they did that was by offering health care as an additional benefit, which didn't fall under these restrictions, and it's a, it sort of stayed in, in, in place since oh, that time. Oh, interesting. So yeah. that, that used to be, uh, uh, you know, a bonus to come here, you get health care, yeah, and then eventually right. they ended up uh, giving it all to the corporations. Yeah, exactly. Effectively. Right. So, uh, and you, so effectively they've given, you know, 15% of GDP to the health insurance companies and to, to Big Pharma. Right. Let's talk about another hot-button issue here, uh, reparations. They've been proposed by a few candidates. This is probably one of the more controversial ideas out there. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I, it's, it's highly toxic. I think any type of, of race-based policy is, is going to be in, in incredibly uh, divisive. Now, what about the economics of it? There, there is, do you see, what have you seen there? Do you see anything there? Well, look, you could do it in the sense that uh, I, I, don't, I, as you know, subscribe largely to mo modern monetary theory. Um, so I don't think there is a financial constraint per se to do uh, it. I, I don't think this is the kind of thing that would bankrupt us. But and, and but you and and I and I and I think there is a certain uh, social justice that you know you you've taken you took people from their homes and, and, and literally enslaved them. But then what do you do? And you know, there's a tremendous amount of mixed marriage that's going on right now. So if you can establish that you're you know one quarter or um, you know half black or one eighth black, I mean uh, you know do, do you get Part of that reparations, uh, aren't we at risk of this becoming sort of like the uh, the casinos, where, where you know you get a benefit if you're if you got some um, Native American blood, and we we've, we've seen with one of the candidates that uh, it, it, it unfairly in in fact, but you know if you 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 get that kind of gainsmanship when you start um, you know making everything race based. The other issue is that. I am disturbed that there, there's so uh, there are there's increasing attention placed to towards economic inequality, and I think that sometimes when you look at race-based problems um, divorced from the economic context, you actually inhibit the ability to do something on the uh, on the broader e economic inequality front. You know, Jesse Jackson talked about this in the, in, the, in his 1988 campaign. You know, that he was asked, you know, how, how are you going to get uh, a, um, a white steel worker uh, to to back you? And he said, by making him um, um, convinced that he is more in common with his his um, uh, black steel worker colleague by virtue of the fact that he, they're they're both steel workers than by by his his boss who who might happen to be white. You know, so so you want to get away from this 
this uh, um, um, class-based identification because that's divisive and that helps to pit the oligarchs against us more effectively in a classic divide and rule function. Yeah, well, whether or not these reparations are paid, I think there's a, there's a point to be made here in terms of for so long the black community has been treated as non-existent. Yeah. You know, during the civil rights era, the, the phrase, I am a man, uh, was resonated because uh, the white community was really, they became the invisible man as a famous novel written. I think that if there were some calculations done and saying, okay, um, the slave population in America contributed to the 65, you know, to the 19 or 23 trillion dollar U.S. economy in real dollars, they would be, uh, that would be 17 trillion dollars thanks to this population. I mean, that, that's a good number to have yeah. and say, you know what, and then the black population can say, okay, well, we'll forgive you of the 17 trillion dollars you owe us, but we would need to recognize the fact that without this population, you guys would still be, yeah. you know, sweltering in a banana plantation somewhere. But let's move on. Tulsi Gap uh, is proposing a drastic reduction in our military spend and an end to our now endless war on which we've spent untold trillions yeah. and many lives. Uh, what is the economic point of our nonstop war since 2001? Is it just empires are programmed to end in this particular way? This seems to be a repeat in terms of um, America making the same mistakes that empires have made in the past. Tulsi Gabbard, she's really going after this uh, military budget. What yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, well, interesting that she's she. If I, you know, if anyone's to judge by what you see on Twitter, uh, which is not fully representative, but she's definitely even less popular within her own party than she is with the military establishment. Even though she served in the military and 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 uh, you know she she's placed, but but she she's been um, um, she hasn't placed her her. Um, her alliances with the neocons, like some of the other of the other Democrats, have done on the, on the Russia Gate issue. So, but but look, I think she's right. Um, but I I think she's fighting a, a very very considerably difficult task. Um, the the the, um, the U.S. military industrial complex, as Eisenhower warned, as as late as uh, uh, 1960, has really taken control of the political process. Um, and there's really no constraint on the way and uh, and the amount that the Pentagon spends. Um, they do this by front-loading, uh, back-loading programs, estimating the amounts, uh, uh, you know, conservatively up front. And then, of course, when they're well into the programs, they say, well, actually, it's going to cost X rather than Y, and we need more money. Then they spread the uh, the benefits around uh, the bases all across the country, so they maximize the political engineering and, and, and therefore um, create a huge constituency where they never get to suffer the, the consequences of spending cuts. So if you're a congressman in Hawaii, as she is, you know, they'll probably say, okay, fine, but we'll cut back at this naval base in Hawaii and that's going to be on you and and so of course people back off in, the, in, in those situations. Here's a question. Of all the 20 candidates or so on the Democratic side running, is there yeah. one that you like more than the others? And second of, second question is if you know if you were an advisor to one of these uh, candidates, what would be your approach because they seem to be floundering and they don't yeah. seem to be getting any traction. So is there anyone that you like and if you could, what would you advise them to gain traction against Trump and to get back in the race? Okay, well, I do probably Warren and, and, and Sanders. Uh, I think that they... they uh, okay, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, those, those are two you like. Yeah. Well, now, what would you like to see them do that they're not doing that you think could 
put, give them some traction against the incumbent. This is going to be controversial, but I do think that they have to um, take a, get a handle on, on immigration and, 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 and offer a, a proposal which is uh, realistic and, and, and actually speaks to the, uh, some of the Trump voters. And that's not say, to say pander to the racism. It's not to say that we want to have kids uh, sitting in their own feces, being locked up, separated from their parents. But, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer that you want to have a, a structurally tight labor market. I don't believe in de facto open borders. And I do think that you have to place some, you know, restore some sort of um, uh, control over the overall immigration system. I think the Democrats have gone so far out towards what I, what I think are de facto open borders, because if you don't do anything on the way of border enforcement, um, and if you keep backing H-1B visas, which is basically a way of ensuring that, um, you know, you can effectively offshore more labor or, or get a guy in here from, say, India, you can pay him one twentieth of the wage of, a, of an American worker, avoid retraining workers. I, 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 I just think you need an immigration system that works better for American workers. Now, 20 years ago, that wasn't a controversial proposal. People like Barbara Jordan, who was an Afro a prominent African-American Democratic politician, made exactly those kind of recommendations with the Jordan Commission in 1995. But the Democrats now, they just say, well, you know, let's, um, you know, we should decriminalize immigration and um, they should all have access to the Medicare for all that many of them are proposing. And I just think that's that's a politically toxic and will um, cost them hugely if they continue on that way in the, in the 2020 campaign. Right, so that gives them a little gravitas to take yeah. that head on. Look, I, I uh, the, the Democrats used to be, uh, uh, they may have been the more socially conservative movement, but they were more economically liberal, more pro-worker. Um, now they care about uh, being woke, worrying about transgender toilets and LGBTQ rights, and they don't really care about uh, um, American workers to the degree that they should. They, and, and, and Somebody they, said, and get your comment on this, they compared it to McCarthyism, like a left version of McCarthyism. Whereas the McCarthyist period, the right went after the left on morals, and in this period, the left is going after the right based on feelings. Yeah, I, I, I think there, 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 there's uh, that, and I also think that this unhealthy um, uh, Russophobia that's taken over our national discourse, I think, is really problematic. I mean, uh, how do you recover from that? They spent three years on the Russiagate hoax. It turned up nothing, and that, yeah. that's a big waste of time. Like, is there any coming back? Any way to come back from that? Well, yeah, it's a great question. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, is 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 the honest answer? Um, I, I I'm almost certain that when they get back into office, if they do get back into office, that the the, the Russophobia, the Russia Gator uh, story narrative, will, it will evaporate as quickly as hot water on on, on tarmac. I think this is just uh, totally political. I have no problem with with you know protecting the integrity of, uh, of of elections. I'd like to see you know less voter suppression as well. You can solve the problem of voting machines by going back to paper ballots. They do they do they use them in the UK if you if if you want to handle that. But let's not. Um, you know, try to create this situation. I mean, Russia is a, a nuclear power, and you are creating an environment which is actually bringing us closer to uh, nuclear obliteration. And, and if you make that point, somehow you're deemed these days to be a Putin poodle, which I, I find extraordinary. So the level of discourse is just, um, it's, it's nonsensical and it's a loser for them. Plus, crucially, they have fantastic hockey players. Yeah, that's true. But we got to go. Thanks for being <laughs> on the Kaiser Report. Thanks for having me again. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacey Herbert. I'd like to thank our extra special guest, Marshall Arbuck, all the way from Canada. And if you want to catch us on Twitter, it's Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all.